The barrier for entry in video production has never been lower with, you see things that people do with their phones and uh, no microphones, no lighting. And I would just say to everybody, if your choice is between making something mediocre and making nothing at all, make something mediocre. There, There's nothing stopping you. And like we were saying before, making your first mediocre thing, that's the first step into making your spectacular thing. So please choose to make things because it has never been easier to make things. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are and wherever you're watching from. My name is Matt Pierce, host of The Visual Lounge, where we talk about using images and video in the workplace. And today we're going back to the old standby, training and documentation. If you haven't been thinking about this in a while, you're probably like, ah, that's what we do. But we're gonna have some new insights. We're also gonna be talking about like, some social stuff. I know you might be thinking social media, what? Yes, of course, and how we can apply this. So we've got a great guest today to help us go through this conversation. So let's go ahead and introduce her. Abby Cook is a learning designer and speaker in Richmond, Virginia. She has been in the learning industry for 14 years and loves helping people learn. She is known on TikTok as Miss Lizard, where she talks about learning, learning science, and data literacy. And what a better person to talk about video with us than Abby. So please welcome Abby Cook to the Visual Lounge. Hey, Abby. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. And we're just going to dive right in. So the the first thing is, uh, let's dive into the questions of how did you get started and involved with using video in the work that you do? So um, I have two pieces of work that I do. I am a learning and collaboration manager for a company called Southern States. And then I also own my own company where I do train the trainer and learning design. So for Southern States, I was initially hired by them. They were rolling out a new point of sale and they needed a, a basically an army of trainers to roll out this new point of sale to all of their, I think something like 120 retail locations. And that involved a ton of video, not just for training purposes, but for documentation. And it was sometimes very quick and dirty. And sometimes we had a lot more time to prepare, but you get very skilled very quickly in video creation when you have a list of like 89 topics that you have to create video documentation for. Yeah, that, that, that will do it, right? Like just that repetitive <laughs> nature. And I'm guessing the 89th video was way better than the first video. In some respects, but in other respects, by the time you're the 89th time you've said like the same introductory text, you're trying very hard to keep it fresh so that the learners know that you're not like this video was created by, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, it's interesting you say that because uh, I was talking to good friend Tim Slade, who's been on the show, uh, and he was making like 200 videos. And he talked about that process that he actually mixes up the order that he creates. Like he was making a mm -hmm. course, but he would mix up the order that he recorded them in so that if you had like uh, a kind of a maybe a down day where you're maybe lower energy, you weren't getting like the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth video, all kind of like, oh, you know, you're getting like seven and then maybe down at 20 and then 50. Um, so uh, yeah, so I could see where that could be, mm -hmm. could, could be an issue. Well, for the next question, I'm curious, you know, you, you obviously are doing a lot with, uh, with social media and in, in terms of your side job. And I know that's not kind of our, our big focus today, but I'm, I'm really curious from you, how do you define success, especially from a learning perspective in social media where you don't know your audience necessarily, you can't, 
I uh, can't guarantee that it's connected with them. You're not assessing them. So how do you define success in that, in that realm? De- success in social media. Ooh. Um, so I think the first thing to keep in mind is that the, I, I don't even want to call it the audience because who is watching your video on any given day could be completely different. But the, the viewership of social media is so, I don't want to call them fickle and I don't want to call them capricious, but it's very unpredictable. Um, the video that I did that first went viral, I did not expect to go viral. It was just for me, another video. I actually edited it together while my infant was sleeping on me. Mm-hmm. And I, it was just another day of me posting it. And then later, like you have 2000 notifications. And I think success in social media is when you start seeing that happen more often, where a video gets a lot of engagement and not just because people are angry, but <laughs> engagement, like positive engagement, I think is a really good mark of success. Well, well, no, I, I, I can appreciate that. And I think that's interesting that um, to do that, though, you must be, ha- be able to make consistently content that that is engaging or relevant or connecting with the audience, right? Like it can't be like, uh, you know, you might have one time success and maybe it blows up, but then if you can't consistently do that, it doesn't really mean much, right? It's true. And you start to pick up on what gets engagement and you start to pick up on, um, you know, and it, and it's kind of textbook stuff. Like you have to hook your viewer kind of the first two or three seconds, anything longer than that. And people scroll, um, using, uh, ancillary imagery behind you helps a lot instead of just this bookshelf all of the time, that sort of thing (laughs) boosts engagement. So, and you start to see if you engage your audience early, if you give them something to talk about and not just talking at them, you get a lot more engagement. I I like that. And I, I, I'm going to make a note of that because I want to, I think I want to come back to that, but I want to get through our third question uh, here. And so then we can come back to this idea of giving people something to talk about. Um, So before we move on to the kind of the, the body of what we're going to talk about today, what's, what's a tip you would want to give the audience about using images or video to help them improve their work? Everything that you choose for imagery, any sort of supporting imagery. And this is not just for video, but this is just for if you have slides, Everything should boost the signal of your message and not the noise around your message. It is uh, images are fantastic and they help boost your message, but really be intentional with what you're selecting and why, because sometimes images can distract your viewers and your audience from your message. You want stuff that is going to focus that message. Yeah, I love that because, and I am probably guilty of doing that in some of my slides because I, <laughs> I, I have lots of images, but I, but I, you know, I do try to be intentional, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense that you don't want to. Video is great, and you don't, but you don't want to show something just to have something, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's got to have purpose. It should have meaning. It should be uh, about connecting them to the message. So I like that. Okay, let's go back to talking a little bit about video and social media. We'll talk about training and documentation here in a second. But, uh, you know, I'm curious because I think what I'm seeing is that Instagram, TikTok, even YouTube, YouTube Shorts has really started to, to influence what we do for a video learning perspective from a, how we en- engage our audience to train them, help them to learn about whether it's our software, our product or internally. So from your perspective, though, someone who's really active in, in particularly in the TikTok space, I'm curious, how has that impacted what you do 
as a creator of video? So, and again, yes, speaking from the TikTok space, because there is a lot of marketing and promotion on TikTok as well. And you can scroll through videos and you can sometimes get to something that is very clearly an ad. It is very well produced. It has motion graphics and it has things flying in. And those typically get very low engagement because they are kind of instantly recognizable as an Mm -hmm. ad. And people tend to scroll past them. And so what you have seen happening to marketing, especially on TikTok, is that the production is intentionally lower and the post-production and the preparation is intentionally lower because the goal is not expensive motion graphics and overproduction. The goal is engagement. And people, TikTok, the atmosphere on there is very much kind of like off the cuff or um, very quick. And so you'll see things like ads that are just people talking into their little AirPod microphones <laughs> and they're advertising for a company. And I would say that one thing that that has done that it, that is a very positive thing, in my opinion, is that I have seen more and more training in videos become more natural. It is much more conversational than it used to be. And I I wouldn't say that TikTok is the cause because I think this is something that was happening well before TikTok was a thing. But the move toward just people talking instead of reading a script in order to get a point across, I think has been a very, very positive outcome of videos just sort of kind of blowing up because content is everywhere now, right? Like I remember when I was getting my master's, they threw a statistic up on a slide that said at that point in that year, which was like 2012, for every minute of video that was being watched on YouTube, three minutes of video were being uploaded. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fascinating to me. But the thing that that has done is it has made that sort of overproduction unnecessary because most of the time what people look for in videos, especially instructional videos, is quick and conversational and natural. Well, I mean, I think that, and that goes along with the research, right? Richard uh, Mayer talks about the personalization principle that, you know, if you're, if you are using a script or if you're just talking, instead of using formal words, you can use contractions, mm-hmm. use, use things that make it seem more personal and, and uh, approachable. So I, so I appreciate that. But in this process of um, becoming more natural, especially from a learning perspective, you mentioned with earlier when we were talking about the social stuff, you know, give them something to talk about. And as a learning professional, there's something about that that says like, well, I mean, you know, I I need you to learn this thing. I'm going to I'm going to design it this way. Do you think that does that translate in any way kind of along with like being more personal, like giving training, make make it something they can talk about or should talk about or. Is that really just a social kind of grab that like if you're on, you know, because you're vying for all sorts of attention, you don't know who's going to be flipping through looking. Um, But training, usually it's a controlled audience to some degree, at least, you know, if it's internal, particularly, you know who those folks are, you know, their environment, you know how they're watching, listening, doing all that. So is there uh, principles that we can apply there or is that something like, yeah, it's just a difference of like what you're doing? Well, it's interesting you bring that up because a few years ago, we, um, the audience that we have at Southern States is one that is somewhat geographically remote 
from each other. We have a lot of locations down kind of the eastern seaboard from Maryland down into, I think, northern Georgia. And um, these locations don't get together very often. They tend to be at their location. They might come to the central office maybe once a year, depending on the need. But we were discovering that they were preferring live training and live webinars to videos. Mm. And there's a, a, that tends to be the case for a lot of audiences. And we were trying to figure out what about it was appealing. And we discovered that a lot of our audience enjoyed being able to comment on what they were learning. They enjoyed being able to say how they felt about it. They, especially with something like a new point of sale system where you have new rules in place and like uh, this thing that you used to be able to do in your old point of sale, you won't be able to do anymore. We could throw a video out there and say, here it is. This is the way it's going to be. But we found that they enjoyed more being able to say, well, that's frustrating for me. And so giving somebody something to talk about, not necessarily to the point of, well, I'm going to do it this way regardless of what you say, but just being able to voice an opinion. And so we were trying to figure out, okay, well, if we were to roll out a bunch of videos, what is a way we could add that? And so we tried to add kind of a social aspect where people could come and connect and tell us how they felt about a new policy or how they felt about a workflow or a a standard operating procedure so that they felt like they had a voice instead of us just rolling video out and saying, here, take this. And this is the way it is. Yeah, that makes so much sense, right? Because I, I see that as well, that people really want uh, to connect on that at that live level. But it makes sense that they they want to engage with it, right? They want to engage with the others around them. Mm-hmm. So from from a perspective, as, as you work through this problem, obviously... I mean, you can do live events, and I think there's there's value in that. You know, as, as a show, we start off as a, a as a live stream versus a pre recorded podcast. So, what have you found from a kind of a learning perspective that what worked for that to be able to build that or bridge those connections so that people in an asynchronous pre recorded uh, training that they still got that connection that still helped them to you know feel connected or feel heard. Mm-hmm. Well, we experimented a little bit with this, you know, most learning management systems now have social aspects where people can comment on courses. And so there's some success there. Even something as small as like a Microsoft Teams group where people Mm -hmm. can connect with each other has some success. And also um, just hosting regular what we call open houses, which is like a webinar where like we're not giving you any information. You just come to us and whatever need you have, we can address it. And that that sometimes becomes an expression of frustration, but I think it's important for people to be able to express those frustrations because I think that makes the learning experience better when people are allowed to express how they feel about the learning material. So um, it was a combination of a bunch of different things, but it was basically we tell you something in a video and then you can tell us something either in a live webinar or in a comment on some digital platform. Nice. Yeah. I, I, I like, you know, just setting up those communities, whether it's community practice or, or whatever. We actually just talked about uh, kind of social learning in a previous episode. So that's this, this fits actually really nicely. So from a from a training standpoint or even a documentation standpoint, because we haven't talked about documentation for you. What are the what are the boundaries kind of like what's the criteria that you set up to say, like, yeah, this should be a video because we've talked a little bit like 
you know, obviously there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of good reasons to move towards video, use video, social uh, kind of platforms have influenced us to some degree about, you know, like, I think it's really a preference. People, I think, have gotten used to like being able to go to YouTube or TikTok and saying, how do I dot, 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 mm -hmm. you know, like it just becomes, it's become the way uh, I think a lot of people just think, oh yeah, that's the, it's, that's a good way for me to go about doing this. Um, so for you, do you have criteria that you kind of set up because documentation in particular or training, it could be written, it could be the live, it could be face to face, it could be all these things. So when do you decide or determine like, yes, this should be a video? So we, we took the new point of sale thing from a couple of different angles. So we had an online training curriculum. Um, everything was done in the classroom when we first rolled it out. That was all live. But now as people are onboarded, it is an online curriculum where they learn how to run sales orders and make purchase orders and stuff. Um, and so we use video there. We initially did interactive software simulations for mm -hmm. those. We found they were not as successful as just showing a video, a screen grab of someone walking through the process. The interactive piece ended up being somewhat of a cognitive barrier because if there were any technical issues or mm. compatibility issues with course, which didn't happen super often, but when it did, it would really get in the way of the learning. And also it was just lengthier and it was a little bit more stunted because we would do a step and then we talk about it. Okay, now click this, now click this. Oh, and see this, this is why we just did this. And so we at one point decided to take those down one by one. And instead of doing a simulation, we just set one of us up with a microphone, turned the Snagit video capture on, and we would walk through the process and say, okay, here's what I'm doing. Here's how, okay, I'm going to click here. And then I'm going to click here and see this right here. You never want to click this. Don't ever <laughs> click this button right here. And I think that that was more successful because it was fast enough to show like the whole flow of whatever step we were showing there was almost no cognitive barrier because there was almost no compatibility issues to the video. So that's the training side of it. Now, the support and documents, the support and documentation side of it is a little bit different. We have an online user guide that we built with um, Adobe RoboHelp, which is basically like a searchable online database for how do I do a return. Most of that is just written work steps mm -hmm. with the occasional like screen grab of like, click this button and we'll include a little image of the button. Now there are places in those steps where the button's hard to see. And then the next button is kind of hard to see and the next button's hard to see. So what we've done for that is if it's just like a quick three second of like showing someone where to go or what it's going to look like, we'll grab that and make it instead of making a video that lives on the page in animated GIF mm -hmm. of it, to put on the page as well. And so what should be a video for training? Kind of everything that they need to know when they're onboarded. For support, what should be a video? It's anything that, if I was trying to tell you how to do it over the phone, anything that got hung up, if we were over the phone and like, man, okay, you know what, I should just share my screen. That's what becomes a video. And then that's what we put in the documentation. Uh, I mean, that makes sense. And I love the use of GIFs there, right? Because oftentimes I think, you know, on this show in particular, we talk image video, but there is that, that land in between of GIF mm -hmm. or GIF, depending on who you are. It's, it's, that it you know GIF. where I fall on that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes. But, but you know, that just that, that notion of like, okay, I, 
And I love that the, the criteria you're saying, like if, if we get hung up on a phone call, like if I would want someone looking over my shoulder to see this piece, right? It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be the whole thing. I think that's a, a really good breakdown of like, kind of like first pass approach of like general rule of thumb, let's do it this way. And then that's going to make it a lot easier as you, as you go through that process of starting to, to think about how you design and develop, you know, one of the, the things that we, we always talk about here on the show is about the outcome, right? And so it's one thing to say like, okay, these are our rules of thumbs. We're going to apply them. How do you determine if it's actually working though? What are the, like, is there, are there metrics you're looking at or are there some kind of indicators that you're using to help you see like, yeah, this video did its job or this GIF is accomplishing what we needed to do. Um, I know, and a lot of us struggle with that. So I'm just curious if you have anything that you do. Our biggest was uh, support desk analytics. That was probably the biggest thing that we would look at. And that was also a deciding factor if we needed supporting video or supporting instruction. Uh, we've gotten eight calls a week on topic X. So, okay, that that probably needs to be clarified somewhere and we need mm-hmm. to do something with it. And then if we released something and we saw that the support tickets were going down, we knew it was working. And also it was a great way to justify whether or not something needed additional documentation because, you know, um, we need to create a video for X. Okay. Well, but how many people need that support? Is it 30 people or is it just one person? Cause if just one person had the issue, we can maybe just get them on a phone and chat with them. But if it's a lot of people, then that's probably worth the instructional time as well. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, so I want to kind of, I guess I want to jump back. Maybe this is a question I should have asked earlier, but I want to connect some threads here. We've talked a little bit about social. We've talked about kind of the, what the outcome kind of deliverable for documentation is. And of course the training. Um, when I think of social media in particular, uh, I often think of that the ones that I see that are really successful, there's this element of creativity, right? And you're obviously uh, talking about some, you know, learning science, data, uh, you know, data literacy. These are not like lightweight topics. Um, and obviously, you know, in, in uh, training stuff, these are not necessarily fun topics either, right? Like it's like I did uh, a pharmaceutical company, you know, my favorite training, I've said this a million times is how not to die, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, like anything about safety, we were doing it, not real fun or creative topics, but I'm, I'm curious, have you seen or have you started to apply some of that creativity that comes in the social space into the kind of corporate learning aspect? And if so, what about it do you think is working? Because I imagine there's organizations out there, particularly those that are regulated, have health and safety, a lot of health and safety stuff that they're like, no, 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 don't. I don't want this to be creative because it's too important or, you know, all the reasons companies say they don't want creative learning. (laughs) Any thoughts? I think anytime you can turn something into a story, it automatically takes the engagement up a letter grade. One of the quickest ways to do it when you're talking about learning studies or learning sciences is to talk about the study, but tell it like a story because then people start getting invested in figuring out, well, what was the outcome? I made a piece on equal opportunity employment and we opened the course talking about how in the 1970s, um, a lot of symphony orchestras started doing curtained auditions, which is mm-hmm. where the auditor and the auditioner were on either sides of a curtain and how the percentage of female musicians rose from 6% to 
pretty much immediately. And I think that's an incredible way to start a topic that is very dry um, when you get into that compliance regulatory stuff. But if you can make a story out of something, you can get people much more emotionally invested because that emotional resonance is what's memorable. Well, one thing I heard that you just said that I, I really like is I, I in the learning space and, you know, I've gone to ATDs, I've gone to DevLearns, I go to those conferences and I hear story. And one of the challenges I often have is, is that like, oh, I don't really have a story to wrap around this. Like, uh, you know, or we're going to tell the story about about uh, Sue and Sue is going to like, it just doesn't work. But what I heard you say that I think is really powerful here is that like, you told a story of a, a like you took a story from history in this case that was related to the topic and share that meaningful information because it's got impact, it's got data, it's got these things that kind of pull, but it's not the story of what you need them to know necessarily, mm -hmm. right? Like it's not you're trying to tell like use a story to get them to the end conclusion of Bob how to is do a boss things. who is yeah exactly so yeah. yeah that that is successful some of the time, but you have to be very careful about matching it to your audience. Mm -hmm. And you have to be very careful about um, we we live in a world where if if the moral of the story is too blatant, if it's too obvious, people lose interest. And so, yeah, and that's very hard to do in 10 minutes in a compliance training. <laughs> so. Yeah. So, but, but I love that, right? Like finding the right pieces using this other stuff, mm -hmm. especially data, because, uh, you know, and I, I'm a fan of podcasts as well. And I see like, uh, data kind of heavy podcasts, such as like, uh, Freakonomics podcast, right? Like they're mm -hmm. all about the economics of d things, how they can kind of, they use story to shape what they're talking about. And it's not just, mm -hmm. uh, a singular perspective. Now it's obviously a very different type of medium, different kind of outcome focus that are not trying to train me in economics. They're just, I think, informing me slash entertaining me. Right. But mm -hmm. <laughs> those are principles apply. So I, I, mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. So in terms of, uh, we're getting close to moving into our speed round here. I'm curious. So is there from a kind of perspective of combining these worlds of social media combining the worlds of training documentation, is there anything else that you've learned about video that you think we could apply to, to our corporate kind of learning perspective? I think that, I think one of the more important things that people need to keep in mind about video is that the amount of production you spend on video will expand to fill its container of time that you have. <laughs> so if you give me a day to make a video, I'll spend a day on it. If you give me three weeks to make a video, I will spend three weeks on it. And those two videos will look very different. Mm -hmm. But, and, and that's not a bad thing or a good thing. That's just a thing. And it's important to keep in mind that a video made in one day, if it accomplishes its learning objective, the amount of production doesn't matter. It's a successful video. Well, I, I laugh because, I, yes, it will fill the time. And I think it's, uh, from my perspective, I, I love that, like, you, you know, if you got one day and that's what you get out, it's going to fulfill its need. Um, I think it's understanding what that need is and uh, mm -hmm. budgeting appropriately. Now, uh, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to somebody or listening to something and they were talking about making video and it's like how fast they could make a video. And, you know, they were able to make a video and it's like, a, but this was marketing. So a little bit different focus, right? Like quality expectations, a little different. Um, and it took them like a day and a half. And they were like super excited by that, right? Like a day and a half to get this like 
minute and a half video done. And I, so I, I love your, your point, right? It will fill the time. But I think on, on top of that is have your expectations tempered, right? Like if you, if mm-hmm. you give yourself three hours, you're going to get a three hour looking video. Yes. Mm-hmm. Unless you're magical and, you know, if you've got all these different skill sets that allow you to move really quick and that's, but that's time spent and earned. So I, I appreciate that as a learning and out of curiosity, when you're making a TikTok video um, and how long typically are they and how long do you spend on the creation of one of them? Okay. So, um, I typically film like five to six videos at a time. Um, any more than that, I, I typically do them after the kids have gone to bed. Right. That's, that's like your one free time. Um, and that'll take maybe an hour. I will sit and find like supporting pictures to put behind me. Um, you, like in TikTok, you can kind of green screen yourself yes. very crudely onto images. And so I'll look for those and I'll pick out topics. I don't write scripts. I kind of think about what I'm going to say, but I don't sit there and write it down because I prefer to just kind of speak off the cuff. I think it sounds better when I do. And then other evenings when I, when my husband and I are just watching TV, I'll sit there and edit the video together. Um, it's pretty easy. Like if you see me go, that's where I cut the video off is right there. Cause I'm about to say something. And so I almost <laughs> don't even need the audio on to like cut the dead space yep. out. Um, and then editing the captions. You don't need audio at all. And so all told, I do a video a day. I post a video a day. And that video probably takes me 30 minutes worth of time total to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes even less, depending on the content. Yeah. If you if you nailed what you wanted to say, you don't have to cut too much, right? Like you exactly, can yeah. move through them. <laughs> well, I love that. And thank you for sharing because I think that's, uh, you know, I think that gives good insight because, um, you know, those are have valuable. They're good information. Like it's not like it's a like, oh, this is a terrible video and I'm just throwing it out there because whatever. Like, no, those are those have value. And it's just you're tra- trading different kind of aesthetics, different mm-hmm. approaches to save time because I'm guessing this wouldn't be worth it to you if it took you eight hours to get that one video out every single time. Eight hours a day. No, I, well, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have a TikTok account. (laughs) I would have have more sleep. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I love it. So we're going to jump into our speed round questions now. Speed round questions for the uninitiated are quick answers to questions that are determined by the role of a 12-sided die. So let's dive in. All right, let's go over to our now legendary dice cam. And uh, let's see, we're going to use the green, classic Dungeon Dragons green die. So let's roll. Are you ready, Abby, for this I'm first so roll? I'm so excited. All right, in 11. So let's go ahead and bring that up on the screen. There's the 11. So our first question for you is, okay, what's one resource you think everybody should know about. So it could be about training videos. It could be about learning. It could be about anything because we don't limit this. So what's one resource you think we should all know about? Every New Year's Day, go Google what is now in public domain. (laughs) Um, That's usually fun. And you can find fun ways of incorporating that thing into like your videos or your learning because really fascinating stuff becomes public domain every year. And it's fun to think about those and talk about them. The movie Metropolis went into public domain, I think last year or this year. Um, The Winnie the Pooh books are now public Mm -hmm. domain, but also 
really great poetry and sheet music and things like that. Because one of the the challenges in creating video and images sometimes is finding assets and making sure that they are free to license. And I think that um, public domain day is a fun day for me. It's fun to discover what's now in public domain. I love that. And what a, what a great, great advice. And I did remember this year coming into looking at some things and thinking, oh man, that's cool. That's that now available. And of course, uh, <laughs> there's some interesting things coming up. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, Mickey Mouse is... <laughs> Classic Mickey Mouse is on the edge. So, all right. Well, let's go on to our next die roll. Here we go. And it's a two. So bring that two up. So you obviously have learned a lot about making video and creating uh, social media videos. How did you get good at it? It sounds like obviously early on you had a project, but is there anything else that you've done to really get proficient at, at this process? It just like learning any skill, just doing it over and over and over again. That's how you get good at anything. Because the first time you make a video, it's very clunky and your workflow is super clunky. And then the fifth time you made a video, you realize, oh, you know what? I can take this is a time saver step that I've got. And mm-hmm. um, I would also say it's really valuable to do things the hard way the first time, because then when you learn a time saver, or when you learn a step that saves you steps in your workflow, you recognize what problem it's solving. Yeah. And we're, we are fans of giving the advice of make your first crappy video, just go out and do yes. it, make it You're probably going to hate it. Don't go back and mm-hmm. watch it necessarily make your next and your next and your next and just keep, keep going. So good advice. All right, let's get rid of this. Number two, let's do one more question here. Last die roll. Let's see what we can get. <laughs> and it drops in and it is a five. Okay. So this is, this is a fun question here. So, uh, you are, you know, really an expert at what we've been talking about today in terms of video and social video. And, you know, we talk about your bio and stuff at work. It's all good stuff. But what is something else that you're an expert at that we wouldn't know or might not know about you? Ooh, I'm really good at knitting and crocheting. Really? Yes. And my husband is the one who taught me how to crochet. He, if I'm an expert, he's a wizard at it, but um, pretty good. I have made stuffed animals for both of my daughters and um, I've designed my own patterns at this point. So that's, that's a fun one. Okay. So what is the favorite thing you've, uh, you've made? Ooh. Or at least it doesn't have to be your favorite. It could be your most, like the thing you're most proud of. Like, is it a design, uh, an animal, stuffed animal kind of thing? I don't know if you're familiar with a game called Dragon Quest Eight, but there are characters in Dragon Quest Eight called Metal Slimes that have um, big crowns on them. And I designed a pattern to make a king metal slime, and then I put the little crown on him. I was pretty proud of doing that. It's, awesome. it's he look for those of you that don't know, a slime looks like a little water droplet, but he's silver, and uh, he's got like this cute little face and a crown, and he's very hard to catch. Okay, I love it. <laughs> sounds sounds great. I actually have uh, my wife commissioned uh, i love eeyore from winnie speaking of winnie the pooh because she actually okay. she, she just says i'm eeyore uh and so she uh, a friend of ours crocheted and made an eeyore and it's pretty that. great it's it's pretty I awesome and for my kids she got tigger or uh, not tigger uh calvin hobbs uh so hobbs oh yeah oh i love that yeah. Every kid should have a hubs. That's right. Every kid. So, well, Abby, this has been just awesome talking with you today. Thank you for all your great information. If people want to connect with you or learn more from you, where should they go? 
Always come and see me on LinkedIn. I love connecting with people there. Uh, my TikTok account, you can either search for Lizard Brain Learning or you can search for Ms. Lizard, M-I-Z, um, and you'll find my videos there. And then also the website, lizardbrainlearning.com, has links to my blog and the TikTok and the LinkedIn and things like that. So you can find kind of everything from the website. Awesome. We will put that in the show notes so people can easily find you. So as we like to wrap up every show, we'd like to ask you, Abby, what is your final take? The barrier for entry in video production has never been lower with you see things that people do with their phones and uh, no microphones, no lighting. And I would just say to everybody, if your choice is between making something mediocre and making nothing at all, make something mediocre. There, there's nothing stopping you. And like we were saying before, making your first mediocre thing, that's the first step into making your spectacular thing. So please choose to make things because it has never been easier to make things. I love it. Great advice. Abby, thanks once again for being with me on the Visual Lounge. Thank you so much, Matt. You bet. All right, everybody, you heard it there. That I mean, I can't say it any better. Go make stuff. Go make mediocre stuff so that you get better. Don't get stuck in the valley of like not doing stuff because it's not going to be good because otherwise you're never going to get better. Well, I just want to remind everybody that this as a podcast, we're on YouTube, we're in lots of locations. But if you would like and subscribe, leave us a review even. That helps other people find the show, helps the show to get out there. It's a signal to, you know, to to my employer that this is valuable information that you are getting and that you want more of it. And we love to have these great guests like Abby and others come on the show and talk with us. And that takes time, takes effort, but we want, if you could do those things, that makes us really happy. If you're on YouTube, you can always subscribe as well. So with that said, you know, our, our call at the end of every show is very clear. We want you to take some time just to get better. Do what Abby was saying, take some time, make something mediocre, get it, then learn what you can do step by step can get better and better. So go ahead and take some time to level up every single day. Thanks, everybody. 